you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Rockstars. Concept. Theme. Ambiance. I'm talking about your vibe. The vibe of your place defines your brand image, your aura, and in essence, what the customer can expect from the dining experience to come. It impacts buzz on the street, word of mouth, and online reviews. It determines repeat business and customer affinity. Is anything more important than this first and lasting impression? We'll give a listen to this episode as I'm speaking with the principals of O'Kelly Casprack one of the hottest design firms in the country, and they specialize in restaurant and hospitality spaces. We'll be talking today about curating the guest's experience, the biggest trends in restaurant design now, function, flexibility, and durability, technology and data-driven design, how to realize your vision for a new space, and so much more. If you're opening a new space or think your current place could use a makeover, don't miss this episode. If you like what you hear on the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And for more powerful resources to train your staff, maximize your profits, and rock your restaurant, check out restaurantrockstars.com. Now, on with the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. You know, I've always believed there are three important attributes to any successful restaurant or hospitality operation, those being food, service, and ta-da, the ambiance. So I'm really excited today to welcome the principals of Kelly Kasprak, an interior design firm that specializes in restaurant and hospitality spaces. They're absolutely on fire right now. Welcome to the show, Belinda and David. Hi, glad to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you joined me. This is a really exciting topic, you know, because the space can be really, really inspiring and it can engender such intense loyalty when you feel like you belong to a certain place and it's the place that you like to go and that impacts online reviews and word of mouth, which has always been the most effective form of marketing out there. So I want to start by asking you how you got into the restaurant and hospitality space. Have either of you had a background in the business before you became design professionals? Uh, so I think, um, you know, I certainly worked in a restaurant and a bar uh, in college and, and even a little bit after college. And I think that it naturally gives you um, kind of an interesting perspective on the operational side. Um, both, both David and I have architecture backgrounds, and I actually started working for David out of college. Um, and one of the things that really attracted me to hospitality design was the idea of, you know, you're creating a fun and social space and a great environment and, and all the nuances that go into not just, you know, architecture and, and, and the formality of the technical side, but you're creating a vibe and you're creating a, a feeling and a mood. And there's so many little nuances from, you know, sound to music and, uh, you know, level of seating that go into that. That is absolutely much true. Go ahead, David. You know, it has uh, restaurant uh, design has very much of a theatrical quality to it. You're creating a, a stage set almost at, at times, uh, a real environment where um, 
they're taking somebody away from their day-to-day life and they're, they're coming there for a reason. It, certainly the food is part of it, but it's also it's the overall experience. And, and our part of it is to take people away from what they would find at home and, you know, day-to-day life and give them a unique experience. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that plays so well into my philosophies. I ran restaurants for over 20 years that I started from scratch, and I always believed that this business was about entertainment. It's about showbiz, and I used to train my staff, you know, when that front door opens, it's like the curtain going up, and you're all actors and actresses on stage. And so, obviously, the theatrics come to mind and all the different props that bring the food and the drink to life and the space and how all that plays together. So that totally makes sense to me. Do you, do you remember in the 80s, uh, I don't know if you go back as far as I do, but the, the hot term then was entertainment. Oh, yes. And it was this idea of that uh, at that time, the trend was that, was that spaces were going to be extremely thematic. And we almost created the, you know, uh, you're, you're eating in a farmhouse in Italy somewhere or, you know, uh, you know, Planet Hollywood, things of that nature were these really, you know, kind of very very themed restaurant. So, uh, you know, right. I mean, that, that was at one extreme and, uh, the restaurant industry actually went to a totally other extreme for many years. And now we're coming back to uh, really a good balance. I think. Well, that's another interesting point that you bring up because a lot of these entertainment concepts were sort of flashes in the pan, novelties. You know, you went there once or twice because of that exciting atmosphere, but the service and the food didn't live up to the, you know, the the excitement or the hype or the flash or the sizzle. And, you know, a lot of those brands that were pretty popular for a while are now all but gone. Uh, A few are still around, of course, that have staying power. But, you know, it's just one of those things in this industry that, the word that comes to mind is relevance, and if you don't stay relevant to your target audience and continue to innovate while not fixing what isn't broken, would you agree with that? Are you seeing that in your design work? Absolutely. You know, I think one of the one of the companies we work with, uh, Let Us Entertain You, is kind of a great example of somebody that's been able to sort of transition with time. So. Um, you know, I, I worked on some of their projects 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that were a little bit more of that theme equality. And now, um, you know, I think we're seeing an interesting mix of, of being able to bring personality to the space and really kind of um, let let the food speak for itself and let the chefs do some creative things that also mix that with design. Um, and it's I think it's really actually kind of an exciting place to be right now. How would you, you know, say? The, oh, I'm sorry, David. To interrupt, please continue. Uh, I was I was just going to say that the uh, you know uh, European restaurants and so on, uh, and especially in Asia, they they've always been very kind of stark, where basically it was totally about the food and this kind of extremely modernist uh, take on on decor. I think here in the U.S is where we had more of that entertainment concept where, you know, I think part of it is our history here where we've, re- we've only been around for 200 years as a country and we have tried to create this historical and, and, and environmental piece for ourselves as opposed to people who have had it for thousands of years. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think that we're, you know, what we're finding here is that uh, we do yearn for a certain amount of, of, of texture and, and and warmth in our spaces and and really that that's what we're coming back to now so 
So let me ask you, um, I want to get into the whole process of working with a client and how vision, you know, sort of begins the work and how maybe your personal styles and aesthetic play into what a client's original ideas might be. Um, why don't we take us there right now? For sure. Um, yeah, I think the first step for us in, in working with a client is listening. It's really about um, trying to understand what, you know, what the operation is, what the type of food is. Is it a chef-driven concept? Is it going to be personality-driven? Is it a family restaurant? Is it a certain type of cuisine? And and then of course the the uh, financial model plays into it. You know, is it is it a sit-down restaurant? Is it fast food? Is it uh, is it a high check average? Is it mostly bars at restaurants? Mm -hmm. uh, you really have to start by listening before before you really go even even to the next step, which is you know our fun part for us, which is sort of the design design aesthetic. You agree with that, Belinda? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things and tools we use are, are images. So when we get a client into our office, you know, we really, to David's point, want to sit and just listen to what all their thoughts are. And, and we all don't think the same way, right? So we'll have some clients that just want to spout out words. We'll have other clients that come in with a, a design they've kind of come up with on their own already. Um, and part of our job initially is to just sort of have those brainstorming sessions and work together to get um, what we call kind of a conceptual design together. And, and that concept design, it may be a book or a story or a board, um, but it's kind of the, the piece that captures the essence of their personality or brand. Um, and I, I actually think that's what sets us apart a little bit is that we, we get kind of concept driven and, and kind of into that space a little bit with our clients um, so that as we, we take things and flush out, you know, the architecturals and the engineering drawings and the food service drawings that we keep that concept design kind of in the back of our mind. Um, you know, recently we got the opportunity to take a lot of Chicago restaurant local favorites and translate them to airport locations to be a showcase for our city. Um, and that's Midway Airport here in Chicago. And, and one of the really interesting challenges with that is that we had to take a lot of these brands and concepts and distill them down to a kiosk or, you know, Hubbard Inn, which is a great local spot here with a lot of texture. You know, we have a very limited amount of space to pull that off at, at the airport. So it's really kind of distilling that concept. And I think it's made us realize how important that initial piece really is. Right. So it's about the, um, consistency of image and uh, making sure that you're on brand, is, you know, regardless of the size of the space, if there's multiple locations. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh -huh. You know, the, um, the part of our initial process, Belinda touched on it briefly, was this uh, kind of a, a concept imagery. And it's really important, and it, it's a it's a really um, interesting thing that we we try to do here, which is a you know sort of an image deck that we put together and share with a client after we've had that initial meeting with them and kind of did our listening session. And part of it is, you know, if we say to you, if you you come to us and say, I want to do a northern Italian restaurant. Well, what does what what youth are thinking? In your mind, and what we are thinking could be vastly different, right? If you have if you have an Italian restaurant in Italy, it's going to look vastly different than if you're trying to create one in Boston. Um, so really, the, the image deck is a great way for us to make sure that we are all on the same page. And sometimes these images, you know, we're picking out little things. Well, we, we have this image in here because we uh, this is very relevant to you, but you know, not so much the other things and so on. And uh, 
and, and really it's how we, it's our first or our second step in trying to hone down and make sure that we are truly listening and understanding what the owner is looking for. And of course, we're, we're bringing our own perspective into that at the same time. We're curating the deck, so uh, you know it, it's our sort of our take on you know what we think it is and what we've heard them say and, and where we think this design is going to go. And it's all about collaboration, of course, and obviously differences perhaps in tastes and styles and all that sort of thing. But getting, you know, getting to meet in the middle and say, you know, you've got strong experience, you've got background, you've got, you know, an A-list of clients and a reputation. And then you've got clients that perhaps are really married to an idea that you might not think is the best idea. So, you know, really getting that whole thing to come together must be a you know, quite the challenge. And of course, vision boards go into all of that and ultimately convincing a client that what you're, what you see is the correct one. That's really going to wow the public and, and get them to talk and create buzz in the marketplace. I mean, that's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So, so, um, you know, I think, I think you were, you were hitting right on the head and, and it's, it's what I find really fascinating about restaurant design as well as that. Um, I think you hit on this a little bit earlier, we certainly have our own personal aesthetics and styles. I think all designers do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this in this industry, though, you really have to give that sort of a, take a half step back from that and really really concentrate on, on what's right for the environment you're trying to create. Not every otherwise, what you end up with, you know, there's a lot of. of Firms that might be designing a different type of project, a, a you know university project, and I can walk around to various campuses and say, oh, that company did this one, that one, that one, and that one, because they all have the same style and aesthetic to them. We don't have that luxury in the restaurant design industry because we really do have to try and work with what's given to us and, and complement the food and the operation and the chef and and so on because that really is the important thing we're trying we're trying to create it that stage set and that environment for that that chef so our egos have actually have to be you know uh, we, we can't be super egotistical about you know this is the way it has to be done or whatever we really do have to listen and work with the with the owner and the, and the, and the operator well, it's got to be really exciting to continue to raise the bar on a successful design and then the next one and the next one and you're just as hot as, you know, you're only as hot as your last client or the reputation that you've built. But it's true because if you were too influenced by your own personal styles, then suddenly the whole, you know, uh, end deliverable would be generic as opposed to exclusive and interesting and unique to that particular client. Yep, that's exactly true. And, and you know, it, one of the projects that we're working on now is a, a chain of taverns out of the southeast called Marlowe's. And they, one of the things that we thought was really kind of cool about that brand is that, um, you know, we've gotten to know them and they've gotten to know us and they're, they're trusting us enough now that, that they're letting us sort of work with their prototype and continue to evolve that prototype for every new location. So, you know, I think one of the biggest things we touched on earlier in the conversation is that, you know, design has to be adaptable and we do have, you know, the same thing that worked in the nineties or in 2007 is not going to work now. We have to be continually evolving our brands and continually evolving how we approach problems. Let me ask you about a timeline for the process um, in general. And I guess we're talking about uh, if you were to work with an independent restaurant client 
and they're, they're doing either a brand makeover or maybe this is a new restaurant that's just going to be launched. Is there a certain amount of months that this process will take from, you know, starting to plan with the client to ultimately opening the doors with uh, the design um, front and foremost? Sure. Uh, you know, usually that conceptual design piece, um, we usually spend two to four weeks on that going back and forth with the client. You know, each client is a little bit different. Uh You know, we find that what ends up driving our schedule a lot is more the client response time than, than our response time. Um, so usually it's, Mm -hmm. it's anywhere from two to four weeks on the conceptual side. Um, and then, you know, the phases of design, we go into what we call uh, schematic design and design development, which are taking that initial idea and really flushing it out to plans and elevations and, and renderings. And, and that's usually the part where we'll start to use some 3D tools and three-dimensional things to show, you know, animations of what that might look like. So that can be usually four to six weeks. And then the construction documents period could be anywhere from four to eight weeks, depending on the complexity of the project. So uh, I guess, David, what do you think about that? Is that pretty accurate? You say all in about three months until we actually get ready to submit for permits and that type of thing? Well, I I will say that it is, we are seldom the critical path in the the length of the project. By By that, I mean, yes, those timelines are pretty accurate for what we do. A lot of times, it's the the other other players around us that uh, need time to to do what they need to do. Uh, it's the operator trying to figure out what they need in the kitchen in terms of you know, or, or they're trying to hone their menu down so that they can design so we can design a kitchen. Or it's the, the real estate deal and so on. So all those things have to be factored in as well. But on average, I'd say yeah, the you know. Uh, three to four months of, of hard design time is, is a good benchmark. You must, and, uh, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I'm just trying to get into the whole process of how you would work. And you've been meeting now with the client, and you've got a pretty good idea of what you want to achieve with the space. And whether that's rustic or sophisticated or contemporary or whatever it is, you've obviously got your sources to uh, to obviously source the design elements, everything from the lighting to the draperies to the furniture. Do you work with uh, some of the major design centers? Like I know I used to be in the fashion industry a long time ago, and there was a design center obviously in Los Angeles. There's New York. Or do you work with you know local uh, companies where you're located that may specialize in the type of elements you're looking for, architectural salvage companies, perhaps a whole wide spectrum. Tell me about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so all, all the above. We we are fortunate enough to be in Chicago where we are serviced by a great number of, you know, manufacturers representatives for a lot of the national brands. So, mm-hmm. so we have um, our designers keep up a, a library here in the office and we are visited probably four to six times a week by different vendors that come in and update their materials. Um, so that's part of it. So a lot of the big fabrics, furniture, lighting, um, things like that are coming in in usually that way. Um, but we also will go and work with custom fabricators to achieve things like if we want to do a really cool reclaimed table or a big slab wood table or something that's really unique, mm-hmm. um, we'll work with different vendors to actually fabricate that or, or custom lighting is another one. We'll work with a local shop to custom make light fixtures. And the great thing about that is we can go over to their warehouse or their shop and kind of watch them being built. Or if there's a design question, we can go check that out. 
Um, and then, you know, we can provide those sources to the client. Um, in some cases, our clients will have us purchase those items. So we'll work with them to do the purchasing portion of the project. In most cases, they will purchase them either through the general contractor or, or sometimes themselves. And at Design Center Point, we also have, uh, of course, the Merchandise Mart, which is one of the most venerable uh, design centers, I guess, as you would say, uh, in all the United States. So uh, we're also near that with our offices. So that's another great resource for when we really need to find something special or, or unique or, or just see something in a showroom environment. Yeah, I remember the just the vibe of these design centers, just walking around, you know, you're just flooded with so many different ideas and inspirations it must be that must be the real part of the fun part of what you do you know part of that that is so true so every every uh monday at our staff meeting we we challenge our staff everybody has to come up with an image of something that they that they like design wise it could be it doesn't have to be a restaurant it could be anything uh and we assemble it into a into a um presentation and they have to talk about it and it's a great tool just kind of kind of like you said going around and getting inspiration at one of the design centers we do that in-house where it where we sit there and they bring it up and somebody explains what what it was that was striking and so on and you would be amazed at how invigorating that is on a monday morning so you come in you're ready to start doing the you know start your project for this week and designing and so on and just the variety of ideas that are put out there and, and little things that you might pick up on something totally unrelated and say you know that actually done this way would be a great, a great thing to do on, on this particular project. That's got to be a great staff motivator as well. Just knowing that one germ of an idea could turn into this huge execution that just totally, you know, explodes a client's business or they absolutely love. I mean, everyone collaborating like that—it just sounds like a really dynamic environment. Yeah, you know, it really is, and we're, we're very lucky to have a great staff behind us here in Chicago. They're, they're super enthusiastic and creative, and, um, you know, it, what's kind of been fun in this, in the last few years, the, the way the economy is and the way that a lot of our clients are, is we've really had the opportunity to not only collaborate internally, but to collaborate with some great chefs and other interior designers and other graphic artists and um, local artists and all these different people coming together to create a great space. It's actually just been a really great experience for us to learn from some of these other people as well. And I'll also tell you that uh, our staff, I, I am always amazed. You know, we try we try to give everybody a sense of ownership when they're on a project. And, you know, we, you know, Belinda and I are, are certainly involved in every project, but we also try to get other you know, people on it to add value and I'm continually amazed at you know the idea somebody will come up and say, you know, say or Belinda will say hey you know this is what we're thinking and they'll come back and say okay here, here here's what you told me to do or we could do this and, and it's always amazing some of the great ideas that you go gosh why didn't I think of that you know so, so the team environment and, and that that quality of a lot of very uh, creative people around you it, it's a great environment do you bring other members of your team in to, uh, you know, maybe make presentations if it was their idea or do they uh, get involved in the project, you know, on the front lines or is it just behind the scenes and, and you two are the primary client uh, contacts? Uh, we, we actually, 
and, and now it's part of the image, uh, sort of the image uh, exercise that David was talking about. We're more and more we're bringing our, our staff into these projects. You know, uh, I think the biggest, the best idea, or the best thought that David and I had was that we're not the smartest or best, most creative people in the world. You know, we we look for a, a lot of the creativity of our projects to come from our staff and. Um, you know, we, we kind of say internally here that there's, we're pretty like low ego, um, design firm. So it doesn't matter whose idea it is. If it's a great idea, we're going to do it and we're going to share the credit as a project team accordingly. So, um, you know, we certainly encourage, I think for most client presentations, we're bringing our teams with us. Absolutely. And it's, it's important. It's part of their growth experience too, that they, they get to, uh, well, one CX presents, they get to speak about the, the portions of the project that they, they have had personal involvement in and so on. And, and like I said, it, it just adds that level of enthusiasm and that uh, investment that they make in the project. Here's an off-the-wall question. In your years of experience in, in working with different spaces, have you come across any uh, unusual stories about a client that's requests either architecturally or from an engineering standpoint just were impossible to execute or were just too over the top and no, we can't do that because? Uh, you know, I was going to say, yeah, David, think about some specific examples, but I think in general, you know, part of our, we do have clients that come and they have, you know, crazy ideas or, or ideas. Sometimes they'll have ideas that we think are a little off the wall that turn out to be okay. Um, but, you know, a lot of times it's kind of educating a client, like for, for example, we have had clients who will come in and tell us that their favorite color is blue and they'd love to have a dining room that's very blue. And, um, you know, we, I think from a, a lot of years in the industry, we've stayed away from doing a lot of blue in dining rooms and in restaurants because psychologically it's been shown to not induce um, uh, a complimentary eating atmosphere. You know, people order less, they buy less, they um, you know, they don't respond as well to like a blue or a colder environment. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one thing. We, we always have the conversation with people. Sometimes it's a matter of um, kind of talking a little bit about what the concerns are and, and maybe tempering what they want to do a little bit. Um, we, we have gotten some really crazy design challenges, though. We, we did have one uh, for it was the uh, city front cafe that we did. Um, for a German holding company, and they wanted a wafer-thin metal ceiling suspended that people could walk on over a um, uh, like a food servery area. Really? And I, yeah. Yeah, and, and huh. David, I, I, I know we had several structural engineers involved. We had cables. We had, I mean, we did it, and it came out pretty cool, but I don't even know, I don't even want to think about how much that cost to do that. Right. A right. two-inch two thick. Wow. Slab that, yeah. you know, they wanted kind of this razor thin piece. You're talking about that. We actually had, we, this project never happened, but there was a company out of, uh, I think it was Czechoslovakia and they had, they had oh, a restaurant yeah. in Czechoslovakia that, that the idea was that food was brought out to you by trains. So they had these, I don't know what gauge they were, big trains and they wanted to run these tracks out of the kitchen. It, it looked like a railroad yard, no, and they would run up and down and, and yeah. <laughs> stop at even station. Oh, no. And and you know, we're really uh, you know, yeah. As we talk a bit more of the logistics and piece and how, how we operate here in the U.S., it, it eventually you know uh, became clear that it probably wouldn't translate 
yeah. the way that it did over there to here. So, uh, but that, that was, I mean, some crazy stuff sometimes. You're right. Right, right. You might call that a hook if it was executed properly and actually worked logistically, but it sounds a little challenging to work around that one. Exactly. All right. Let me ask you, let's get into um, the meat of the episode. What are the biggest trends you're seeing in restaurant design right now? Well, you know, we talked about this uh, a little bit earlier about how, you know, in the, you know, it, restaurant design went from the entertainment phase and then it became this kind of super stark, uh, you know, the food the food is the highlight and everything else is just minimalist around decor and, and just yeah, focus on yeah. the food. Yeah. And it's really come back now. We we see a lot of uh, a lot more and continuing trend towards texture and, and light as design as design uh, image uh, images and inspiration. So, you know, a wall that has uh, you know, some depth in and out, a ceiling that uh, you know has has wood and, and planks and so on and so forth. Uh, or taking a wall and applying something in front of it. We just did a, a, a restaurant fisting company, and in that particular case, we used the to- top portion of the wall was, was a rope wall. So basically, uh, we had a company that uh, came up with the idea, and they wove a, a series of ropes and creates this kind of nautical-looking uh, rope wall. Uh, and the idea there was that it was texture, it was a little bit of see-through, uh, it, it's soft, Get, you know, uh, it, get, get a, you know, softer to touch and so on. And, uh, you know, we're seeing more and more of that, more and more uh, authenticity in materials and, and use of uh, unique items. I've always been, you know, something we try to do and, and continue to, you know, bring in unique items uh, from the area or that pertain to the particular restaurant. So I, I think, you know, just to add to that too, you know, really coming out and I think it's great now, it feels like restaurant spaces aren't as afraid to show their personality. So, um, you know, showcase what you do and take it all the way through the design elements, uh, you know, bring some things into the space that talk about your food and talk more about your personality and brand. Um, another thing that, that we're seeing a lot too is really continuing to increase the approachability to the chef and to the food direction. So, you know, we saw this a lot with sourcing of foods and types of, of um, goods and things like that, you know, the, the transparency between where things are coming from and how you're serving it at your restaurant. But from a design perspective for us, it's been, you know, opening up kitchens, letting people see how things are made. Um, you know, even on the fast casual side, showing how the chef-driven uh, fast casual market, how they're showing um, you know, how the recipes are prepared and things like that, kind of breaking down the barriers between the back of house and front of house. Um, you know, one of our design challenges is sometimes that's not as pretty as it sounds. Um, so we have to work with operators a lot on how we can do that in a way that's flattering to their brand. Is that really popular still? I know that, you know, we went through a period of time. Some of our restaurants that I owned had open line kitchens and some didn't. And obviously it was sort of a show place. We had our own issues with, you know, your, your people back there have to be on their best behavior at all times. They're working in hot conditions for hours at a time. And, yeah. you know, you're on stage in front of the public and make sure that every impression is a positive one, that sort of thing. Is an open line still really popular these days in, in some of the clients you're working with or just in restaurants in general? So I think we've, we've taken a little bit of a step away from the true open kitchen where you see the, you know, glaring fluorescent lighting coming out of the back of house and right, showing everything right. lit up like a Christmas tree. Um, I think we're doing it softer and in better ways now. So, you know, sometimes we'll do things where you can see, you don't get to see all the food and all the surfaces and all the fluorescent light bleed, 
but you do get to see movement back in the kitchen. So we'll do a slit opening in the wall that's maybe 48 inches high. So you're right. seeing activity mm -hmm. and you have a, a connection to where it's coming from. Um, another way that we're bringing in sort of that connection is, you know, I think now you're seeing a lot of trends where um, restaurants are partnering up with other local brands and things like that. Like they may pick a local coffee roaster or something like that. And they're using some almost like retail driven elements to kind of talk more about their food and talk more about um, the, the sourcing of what they're doing. So I think there's several ways it's happening, you know, and a third layer that, that you brought up uh, before Roger is, you know, educating your staff about it. Um, you know, the, one of my favorite things about going to some of the restaurants here in Chicago, um, is that you get a staff that is so educated about their products, their food products, what they're doing, where they're getting it. Um, they really can be a great ambassador to the guests. That is absolutely my philosophy from a service perspective. It's almost like you read my books. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that is service. Again, you know, we talked about food service and ambiance, and I do believe that all three are, are very, very important. But just the, the service delivery and how it complements the food and the drink as well as the ambiance and how you're built. Brand ambassadors, you said it perfectly. You know, your staff can either, you know, build that repeat business and make friends with your customers and invite them back again through their delivery and through their personalities and being, you know, very product and restaurant aware and, and informing the public about what's unique and special and what sets this restaurant apart. I think that's very important. Can't oh, absolutely. And it was, you know, it was really funny. I went to see, so Stephanie Izzard, uh, the girl in the goat uh, chef that's here in Chicago, we used to rent space above the girl in the goat. So our offices yeah. used to be above them. Uh -huh. And I went to a, I went to a talk that she did once and I, and she was asked the question, what is the biggest mistake you made? And she said, when she opened girl in the goat, she took for granted that her staff was, was the piece that, that's the, that's the link, right? That's the, mm -hmm. the person people are going to interact with. And that's the person who's coming back into the kitchen. And she said that she really under, valued training that staff and really making them understand what they were doing because you know if you, if you go to a restaurant and you're talking to the server and you're, you're like oh you know what's what about this dish and they're like oh, i don't know i've never had it you know that's a terrible presentation no, no, of, that's, of that's what you're doing negative. you know and so right. she, she talked about some very candid stories about when they first opened girl in the goat and how they had to really rethink how that whole thing happened you know you're talking about you know personality and, and this is an operational piece less so than a design piece but the old school philosophy, especially with the with, with these celebrity chefs, is when they are there, coming out and actually mm -hmm. interacting with the customers. I mean, that is is huge. Or if it's not right. that, it's right. the general manager or the mm -hmm. sommelier or whatever the case might be. Absolutely true. It actually comes out. If you're not, I mean, obviously your wait staff has to be you know uber good as well. But you know, somebody who comes out and actually interacts a little bit. Huge, huge stuff, and, and that that makes up for that. You know, if you're not going to have the display kitchen that used to be so popular or something like that, that's a way to bridge that and, and manage it in a little different way that still adds value to your clientele. Mm -hmm. What are the biggest things overlooked in your uh, in your opinions right now from a design perspective? So I I think still the biggest thing, and this is probably hasn't changed too much, that the space has to work uh, to be successful. So, you know, although it's a little less sexy than the lighting and some of the other elements of the dining room, the function really is key. So, you you know, we do need to understand how food is moving through the kitchen and how these service people are picking up food and where they're going and how they're going to refill a drink that's not coming from the bar when they're, you know, 150 feet away from it. Um, so I do think, you know, 
function and thinking through the flow of a restaurant is still one of the biggest things. And we can kind of always tell when we see a floor plan done by, by somebody who isn't as experienced in restaurant design because there's never any service stations or nowhere for anyone to, um, you know, kind of support the actual functioning side of the restaurant. Um, Wait for a server to get to a table when, you know, yes. so, you know, size of the table or whatever. So the other thing Absolutely. I think uh, as a, uh, sort of design stewards, I suppose, is um, sustainability. And it, it's a huge, you know, restaurants in particular, a huge amount of, of energy invested into your, your, your meals and so on, or the waste that comes out of those things. I don't know how many restaurants I see where they do not recycle mm-hmm. their glassware and so on because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's hard and it's trouble and it's extra money for them to have it sorted and so on. Those kind of things in any ways that we can help design-wise to make it easier and encourage the staff to do those kind of things, I think it's just good for the environment. It's a good, um, and it's good marketing if you can if you can market it that way and so on and let people know that. But it's just it's being good stewards. Getting back to that earlier question, you just triggered another thought. So let's talk about a brand new concept or a brand new restaurant that has yet to be proven. And, you know, a chef or an owner has a certain idea of the volume and the number of seats and how many table turns they're going to have and all that. And until that actually plays out, it's like, how do you design for function when you're not absolutely sure what kind of volume this place is going to do and if it can handle? Do you over-design for the function? Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and, you know, it hits on another point, too. You know, one of the things that we will be asked to do sometimes is to design a space before the chef's on board. So we don't know the menu. We don't know the cuisine. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to design the space, things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of, of what we end up designing into places um, is is flexibility. And I think we've gotten smarter at doing that over time. You know, if you can do a, a – if you need to put in a couple cold wells, can they be the convertible ones that go cold hot? Um, can we – can we design a scalable line? Can we um, design things that that can be converted? Or because the other thing too is when you design a restaurant, even if you know, I think on several of the brands we've launched, you never hit everything 100%. You know, there's one thing that's going to be doing less than you thought, or more than you thought, or or doesn't need to be as big as it is, or it's too big. And and so the more that you can design flexibility into the brands, I think is is where we become most successful. Um, one I of the places that's- this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, David. I was just going to uh, step back a little bit and say you're asking about, you know, do you over-design or under-design, you know. Um, for my restaurant, I would I would under-design the, the back of the house a little bit. In other words, I would do the minimum with the flexibility to, as, as Linda said, to add in additional equipment and so on. There are so many restaurants that are fantastic initial concepts that don't make it because they the weight of their return on investment is not there mm-hmm. and as a second a second generation restaurant somebody comes in and you know tweaks a few things basically opens up the same restaurant and it's wildly successful because they're able to you know price point that's a few bucks less and and so on because they didn't have the burden of that big yeah. initial investment so, so really yeah and you know sometimes chefs especially are are their own worst enemies because they they know how to cook and there's a lot of things that we that you know pieces of equipment that they really like and so on. So we always coach people to try to engineer your menu 
and your equipment so that you get multifunction out of everything everything that you're doing rather than a piece of equipment that's dedicated to just one thing that you can only do one thing with. So do you also get involved in the back of the house design? Uh, we do, as a matter of fact. Uh, um, we used to actually, uh, last firm that Belinda and I were at, we, we would design the kitchens, you know, literally. Uh, that's not really as, as, as functional for us anymore because uh, there's so much equipment out there and so on that it's really hard to stay up on the nuances of every, you know, every this model versus that model, this oh, brand true. versus that yeah. brand. Mm-hmm. However, we, we, uh, we do understand how they function, how they lay out the flow, like she, she said before. And we will do it under our umbrella, but a lot of times we will, you know, work with uh, uh, some of our collaborators in the food service industry that will that can you know kind of do that specification piece for us. Let's talk game changers in the industry right now. What's really innovating the restaurant game? Uh, Belinda, I don't know if you do you want to start there. Or you want me? To start yeah, there? sure. Uh, you know, I think. Um, I think one of the biggest game changers has been how technology has sort of reshaped how we're looking at things over the last, you know, I would say even five years. Um, so you've got stuff like Open Table and these softwares that are oh, yes. driving how um, how restaurant tours are now sort of challenged with different things and new facets of how that works. And um, you know, I think what it is interesting because now you've got more like data, you have more data, right? So they're able to gather. You know, has this person dined here before? How many times have they been here? Even to what they ate last time. And so it's giving the... It is. And so I think we're still trying to figure out as an industry what to do with that. Um, But now, you know, we know so much more about our guests. So it gives us the capability looking forward. You know, can we customize their experience a little bit? Can we turn this into more like thinking like a hotel year? Is there a concierge element of this where we can start um, kind of changing how that goes? Um, You know, social media... I'm sorry. I'd say one of our clients is, uh, is is Compass Group, and talking to some of their people, the the term that's, that's being kicked around right now is uh, data driven design. And to Belinda's point, you know, all all of this information is beginning to be gathered, and it's going to change. It's going to allow us as designers to work with people who have access to that data to really kind of hone down on what works for their particular concept. Whether it's you know more you know more you know is it more two tops to four tops is it you know quicker check average is it you know more more uh, carry out is it uh, you know a more percentage of bar to dining area and so on all those all those things will start to be quantified rather than uh, you know right now where it's a little bit more of a gut instinct sort of a approach. You mentioned uh, earlier curating the guest's experience and the vibe and the mood of a space. Let's talk about that. You both obviously have, well, I'm sure you have complementary ideas and opinions about that, but perhaps some unique ones as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when we think about hospitality design and how we define it to ourselves, you know, we talk about it as being all about the guest experience. And and for us, you know, there's an architectural piece, an interior design piece, certainly. Um, but there's also that softer piece about creating the sort of nuance of atmosphere and vibe. And, you know, do we want this, you know, it's a sports bar, we want it to feel high energy, or it's a, you know, hey, this is a hotel lobby, and we want half the bar to feel cool and loungy, but half the bar to be boisterous. And, and, and kind of that, that sort of 
feeling piece, the soft feeling piece. So, um, you know, a lot of times when we're working with a client, we're trying to gather as much of that information about that, how they want it to feel in the beginning when we do the conceptual design. Um, but a lot of tools we're using now to sort of fine tune that, you know, now what the great thing about technology is that now we're able to do led lighting that's dimmable very easily to set moods and scenes. It's very easy to bring in sound systems without a lot of costs that can be dialed up or down. Um, there's a lot of technology that's helping us to be able to create these flexible spaces um, for people. And I think that's certainly an asset to sort of curating that full experience. But um, one of the other things, too, that that we talk about is, you know, our our job as designers doesn't really start and stop with architecture. It's also it gets into things like what are the uniforms? What what does the guest feel when they walk into the door? Who's greeting them? How does that service style work? Those are all important pieces that we sort of need to know in order to to help the owner develop the ultimate experience they're looking for. Right. What does a what do the tables tables look like the table settings is there is it a tablecloth is there a mat there is it a, a, a large plate uh, what type of silverware are there votives on the table or or you know i mean the, the level of detail that you can drill down to um for that ambiance uh, you know pretty profound but it really all those little things are all what help to drive home that experience Mm-hmm. We we did a project actually recently where it was a, a kind of cool bar and they wanted a high energy area and so we did a couple communal tables which has always worked well for us in the past and I know, had lots of those mixed, <laughs> yeah yeah they're great they're great yeah, they're efficient you know and and great. even though you don't know the person next to you by the time you're halfway through the meal you're best friends and it all contributes to the the experience that you have and yeah, yeah absolutely I love communal uh, and, tables. And so do we actually. And and so in this particular location, we put the community tables in and we decided to do a stone top on them, right? We hadn't done stone tops for this brand before, but we thought we wanted a little bit more lightness and nobody's sitting at them and nobody's sitting at them and we can't figure it out. So we go down there to check out why this particular location is different. And it came down to the temperature of the stone was so cold, Mm -hmm. cold to the touch that it was uncomfortable. You didn't want to sit there and put your hands on the on the table and talk and relax. It was just it was off-putting. Um, and so you think about just that little design decision that was made that oh, yeah. ended up driving mm-hmm. revenue for the bar space. You know, so it's obviously oh, yeah. we quickly changed out those tops. But but it's like little things like that. I mean, that will will completely change how people act in a space. That happened to me a long long time ago. I opened a restaurant and we had a very large Z-shaped bar. And my particular, the designer that we worked with was a real artisan. He worked in metal and wood, and he came up with Mm. this really amazing metal bar top. But we had the very same problem. We were at a winter ski resort, and the bar top just conducted cold, and it just ruined the experience. So we had to completely rip that out, and we ended up replacing it with an acrylic surface that actually had 120 pairs of vintage skis in mounted in the acrylic surface which totally was a cool vibe everybody dug it but suddenly the warmth was back so you know we made that mistake as well and it's so part of it is also obviously from experience uh but knowing knowing not just uh it's all about the environment so what works in one location doesn't work in another we talked about communal tables we find that they are more successful in uh, you know, certainly in urban locations, um, like I said, Linda said, we're doing bars, work at, yeah. uh, bars or, or airport environments and so on, where people are expected to kind of, they're just happy to have a seat. Mm-hmm. We go out to the suburbs, suburbs with those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they, they, people sit at them, but they still put the seat between each one of them. So what you find is that they're not, 
they're being used, but not uh, in the way, not with the uh, level of density that you would find in the city. They end up kind of, you could have put tables in there and gotten the same effect. So yeah. just kind of knowing your target market and, and what the sensibilities are. Crazy and, the and the personality, you know, is the type of place where you want to talk to your neighbor and get to know them a little bit and have a little bit more of a boisterous conversation. Or do you go there with, with your significant other and you just want to kind of sit by yourself and talk, you know? A certain challenge comes to mind with sound and lighting levels in different restaurants. It can be a real pet peeve to walk in where the sound is too loud or the lighting is too dim to read the menu or maybe it's too bright. And is there a solution for that? Because sometimes, you know, a, a staff person will turn the lights up because someone requests it, but then it's too bright and overpowering, and then it's forgotten because everyone just goes on with their job. Or is everything on dimmers? Do you have a fixed lighting level or sound level that's appropriate for the space? How would you answer that? So, so the the very low-tech way that we've been <laughs> handling it recently, uh, we yeah. actually just had a, a client who asked us to come out and have a drink in the bar so we could adjust the lighting levels because they thought they were messed up. And we brought a black permanent marker and made marks on all of his dimmers of where stuff should go at certain times. Right, right. <laughs> um, That'll do it. But, you know, no, tech, uh, I'm sorry. I was, was going to the technology is going to solve that to some degree. Um, with the new LED technologies, um, we're seeing each individual fixture having having a, a, a radio frequency you know, control in it, mm -hmm. so that you literally can have, tune every light to different to different uh, dimming levels if you want to. So, or even sometimes different color temperatures. So you could literally fine tune every light in the place if you were so so inclined. That doesn't work on a day-to-day -day tune this up or down for one for one uh, individual person. But to, to Linda's point, you know, we we previously would pick a row of lights and say, okay, they're all together. They're always going to operate the same way. Well, now we can we can over time say, you know what? It turns out that that's a little bright over here at, at this end and not at that end. And you can kind of tune it down and and on an individual basis and really fine tune it to work for a space. It, it does, you know, to your to your point, though, Roger, it mm. does depend on your operational staff a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. are they the type that really needs you to preset it and have it on a, a set scene so that it's defaulting to that each time and nobody is messing with the lights? Or, you know, is it the type of place where they're pre pretty conscious of it and they'll, they'll adjust it themselves? So, you know, we've kind of seen nightmare scenarios in both on both ends of that spectrum where, you know, we had one client who um, had, you know, wanted to preset everything. It was all great until the CEO wanted to have a meeting down there at night and couldn't get the lights turned up, you know. Oh, right, uh, right. So it's like it's only as smart as, you know, we always recommend having the system and a manual override so that somebody can mess with it if they need to. I'd like to dive a little deeper into how your firm, O'Kelly Kasprak, works with clients differently to make sure that the personality of that unique brand is captured. You know, we didn't, we talked a little bit about design, but we didn't really talk about renderings and illustrations and, and how you really bring that vision to life. Let's, let's go through that a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so one of the things that David and I think over the last few years is really, we really enjoyed here is that um, we have the capability now. We have uh, super sophisticated computer stations with with almost video game quality graphics and everything, awesome. where we can That's we can cool. model these spaces in 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 it seems like a day where our, there's guys on our staff that can get these spaces modeled, and we can walk through them and look at the ceiling and and I think it's it's been such a geeky cool tool for that for David cool. and I, you know, yeah. right? And yeah. it's like you know I can you can totally picture that. Yeah, and you it's can, a luxury. It, 
it is. And it's, you know, the, the downside is like, you kind of want to model everything, even if the project doesn't warrant it because you can really see it and feel good about what you're doing. But, but that tool, like we have a, a meeting next week for a hotel lobby that we're doing that has some food service components too, um, where we're going to be able to sit down our client and walk, like literally walk through the space in three dimensions and back up and look under something and turn around. And, um, and that's such a powerful tool to be able to show people. It really um, is. Oh, yeah. You know, there are some there are a lot of operators and clients we work with that are really good at reading architectural drawings. But most people really want to see that three dimensional rendering. And so no doubt. And we use it as a design tool, too, because we, we've modeled stuff and, and looked at it. And we've had our design team internally look at it and go, you know, we, we thought that was a great idea. But it's not just it's just not working. It just feels forced. Or it feels awkward. So so we really use it as part of a design tool for ourselves, too. Everything, obviously, in this world uh, is, is somewhat budget-driven. Obviously, the numbers have to work in restaurants and all that, but they see all these amazing ideas when you bring it to life to them, and, and they want everything to happen, even though it may not fit the budget. So you have to prioritize some of these elements, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Absolutely. We, you know, we, we have talk- – um- uh, we talk about um, we just had, we had somebody use this analogy the last time that we were actually doing a hotel project, and they said you, you have to have a, a one lead singer and a couple backup singers. Um, and I thought that was kind of a, a cool thing. You know, we talk about this a lot that you have to pick where you want to spend your money, and then it's it's much better to commit to spending it in a few wow places than to to kind of water it down all over the entire square footage. You know, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, David, I know you were going to say something there. I was just going to add to that. Uh, sometimes what we'll do is uh, we'll try to prioritize with our clients. And again, this, this works with our design process where we can actually show uh, an image of a design and say, well, here's what it looks like without this element, without this element, you know, sort of an additive or subtractive point. And we can actually, you know, do our working documents in a way that uh, a contractor can, can price out individual elements as separate pieces and and so then you know an owner can make that decision based on one whether they can afford it and two which pieces are the most important so uh a lot of times what we find out is people will find the money because it's it usually you know you want what you want and uh and it really does add something we're pretty good here about about uh, trying to be practical as well as it's creative so we're usually not doing something that's got too much fluff associated with it so uh usually when we show somebody something it's something that we feel is worth having in the design yeah it's it's a powerful tool to be able to look at a a rendering and say okay here it is at x cost if we remove the three things that we're talking about this is what it looks like and have people go oh well i really i really liked it better before what is that or 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 the flip side of that is they say you know what i didn't really miss it if i just see this and so that's a something that we do on a lot of projects to kind of figure out and that that gets us back into kind of what is the essence of your brand and what what do you really need to do to 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 convey the personality that you're looking for We had a client actually, uh, we were working with Roti years ago, and they had done, um, they had 25 stores, I believe, or thereabouts. And over X many years, uh, they had kind of been doing them one at a time, one off, and they had more, they, they, you could look at store number one and store number 20 something, and they didn't look the same anymore. There was no brand. So we were brought in to kind of take all these elements and, and define and help them define what. Their, what were the key brand elements, and then we did the sort of exercise that, you're, that, that we're talking about here. Here is a typical space. These are the brand elements, and 
in any given space, there there were five of the lead singers and eight eight of the backup singers is one of kind of uh, they're in, and they could kind of pick and choose depending on on the space and the budget, the, the space constraints, and so on. And uh, it, it kind of took that moving forward into their new restaurants, and we're beginning to retrofit it back into their existing, so that that brand statement was consistent. Your firm works with some real A-list clients, but you also do you also work with independent operators that have single locations. Uh, do you have a certain percentage of the business that's you know large chains versus uh, independents or you know just smaller operations? Uh, yeah, we uh, we certainly have individual operator clients. Um, you know, we just finished uh, Stock and Ledger for Chef Laura Piper, which is a uh, a local chef here and she has a, a fast casual concept and also a fine dining restaurant. Um, and then we do have, um, bigger, more corporate clients. I would say we actually, it's funny. We have a, a lot of the individual clients and then we have a lot of kind of prototype or concept driven work or, uh, certain regional chains, but we don't, we haven't gotten into a lot of large scale chain work. So, mm-hmm. so we're, we we do not do the drawing work for a hundred, you know, pizza huts that, you know, that hasn't been really our sweet spot. We've been staying more on the, on the prototype design or on the design focus side. And then, and then if it makes sense, we'll continue on the construction document side as well. Uh, I don't know, David, you know, you you never, you never know when the next, uh, well, you you can send sometimes, but that individual operator, that's going to be a star. That's the person that you you would love to work for, right? You and you can tell they come in and they have passion and they're organized and, and they have a vision. We love working with those people because you know that they are they're driven and they're going to do two, three, five, a hundred, you know, restaurants, uh, as opposed to somebody else who comes in with a you know they're a mom and pop type thing where they have one and they might do a second one, but they they don't you know they don't really know why the first operation works. But it does, and now they want to try to create a second one. Uh, we're less excited about working with those people and the people that are really, really understand what they're trying to do and, and forward. Yeah, I, I think you know, to David's point, I think um, one of the challenges with the first-time owner operators is making sure they kind of know what they're getting into, right, Roger? I'm sure that you know, in, in your experience with uh, the restaurants and bars you've had, as I'm sure you'll attest, there's a lot of a lot of stuff to learn and a lot of different things going on, right? Well, I um, call it the business of a thousand details. And even if you get yeah. 990 <laughs> of those correct, it's the 10 you miss that the customer always sees. Right. Yeah, and and I, I think the most important thing for us when we meet a new client is there's a synergy between us. There's a trust level that, you know, we're going to weigh in on the parts that we're experts on. The owner operator is going to weigh in on the part they're experts on and we're going to come together. Um, you know, you have to, we have to be a good fit to work together because as you know, there's a lot of details and there's a lot of things we're going to have to, to get through in that whole process of designing a restaurant to be successful. So, um, you know, for us, I think part of it is just about that. You can kind of tell in an initial meeting, um, you know, if there's some energy and good, good vibes between you in terms of uh, a good partnership. For sure. What do you each love most about designing um, restaurant and hospitality spaces? That's a good one. Um, I I think the complexity of the challenge. So, you know, you've got this space that has to look amazing. You've got a chef that has certain criteria that they want, sometimes a different owner that has what they want. You've got an engineering, you know, we just did a coffee shop where we had a, there's a high speed train tunnel underneath. So you can't tunnel anything down. 
Uh, you know, all the different complex challenges that come together. I think part of, of what makes us kind of gluttons for punishment in this industry is the 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 excitement of figuring that all out. You know, that's a that's a big challenge and it's a complicated challenge. And I think we we enjoy that here. I think for me, it's uh, the great thing about restaurant design in particular is you'll be talking to somebody, you'll be at a party or an event and, and they'll they'll start talking about this restaurant they went to and and it's something you designed or you mentioned that you're working on this and they say I love that place or whatever it's the fact that you know there's very few types of, of, of projects where a lot of people really get to interact with it I mean if I design a, a governmental building somewhere a courthouse what are the percentage of the population that's really going to interact with that hopefully not too many right mm-hmm. um, <laughs> So, so it, it's really gratifying that you know people have opinions and, and thoughts about it, and and they're excited that they've been to somewhere that you've designed, and we're excited that they've been there, and it's uh, it's really rewarding. Mm-hmm. For sure. Let's talk about given the changes in the industry. What do operators need to be careful of going forward? What advice do you have for them? I, you know, I think one of the big things is, you know, just recently I went out to a, a, a newer restaurant with a friend of mine and, and we're standing in front of the host stand and uh, the host managed to see this without actually ever looking at us because she had her tablet that had her open table information on it and everything. So I think one of the takeaways I think we have to be careful of is not taking the hospitality out of restaurants. So you, there's a personal connection. And if we're not careful, some of this technology can start becoming a, an impediment between the guest and the restaurant tour. And I think we just want to make sure that we, uh, that we don't let the technology get in the way of those personal connections that really creates your brand. Uh, I, I think uh, adding on to that, uh, I think one of, one of the things that you have to watch out for is that you don't design a space that is so hard and so inflexible that it cannot adapt over time. So you, you know, five years from now, who knows what's going to be the, you know, the hot thing or, or the thing you have to react to. But we're, we're all, we're all, we're all very smart and savvy. We do this a lot, but we're, we don't have a crystal ball as it turns out. And um, part of the reason that the uh, designers stay in business over the long time is that, uh, you know what, Places have to be renovated, and they and, and tastes do change. And um, so, it's, it's making sure that flexibility is there, uh, and that, as you said, I think before Roger, that it the that the restaurant can stay relevant. Time for a makeover, folks. If you're not relevant, maybe, maybe uh, it's time for a makeover. Yeah, truly. Is there anything we've missed that we haven't covered that you'd like to share? I don't think so. I, I think, you know, we love we love being a part of the show. We love talking about, you know, we're kind of geeky like that. We love talking about all the intricacies of restaurant design, and, and we're always open to these kind of conversations. So um, certainly uh, to you or any of your, your listeners, you know, reach out to us if you have a question. Um, we are, we're always, uh, we're always up for having the conversation. Yeah, please share yeah. with your audience uh, how the audience can find Kel- O'Kelly Kasprak, uh, whether that be social media platforms or how they can reach out if they're interested in working with you. Uh, absolutely. So we are Belinda and David at O'Kelly Kasprak, and that's O K K 
I'm sorry, O-K-E-L-L-Y-K-A-S-P-R-A-K. It rolls right off the tongue. Um, and we actually, also, it's, it's, it's Belinda at O'Kelly Casbrek or David at O'Kelly Casbrek, not yeah. Belinda and David. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and we do have um, a very active Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter accounts, and all of our social media tags you can find on our website. Great. Um, you can follow us in all our adventures in design. Well, it's been my pleasure having you guys. It was a really awesome episode. I learned a lot. We had a very engaging conversation, and it's obvious that you guys are at the pinnacle of what you do. Uh, it'd be awesome to see some of your spaces, but I have been to the website, and I've seen some of the gallery photos. You guys are really hot, so that's fantastic. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Belinda and David, thanks again for joining us. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a review on iTunes and drop us a line if you have an idea for an upcoming episode. And we'll see you next time. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. And while you're there, download a copy of the book, Rock Your Restaurant. It's a game changer. See you next time.